I, I hope that that this will impact your life as a young couple. If you'll listen, uh, I want to preach on something this morning that I wish it would have resonated in my heart and mind when I was younger, uh, because it can it can radically change your life. Or not listening, it can really destroy uh, your life and your family and your marriage. And and so I'm not. I'm going to take this morning's message as I'm trying to harp on a sin. I'm really trying to uh, bring some truth to a lie that's been uh, advertised by the devil that I think a large majority of the people in our culture have bought into. So I'll start my message with a question of how do you define life? How do you define life? In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read uh, and just comment real quick on the first uh, 12 verses, and then we'll settle in the last part there. <clears throat> we get to setting, Jesus is, uh, is uh, he has just been uh, talking to the Pharisees, the religious people of his day, hypocrites and that kind of stuff. He has a large crowd of people around him, and uh, now the Pharisees have gathered up, and they're trying to catch Jesus saying something so that they can accuse him, so they can attack him. And it says in chapter 12, verse 1, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. Wouldn't it be awesome if church was so good people trampled each other to get in? That shows you we're not we're not just like Jesus yet. Amen? Multitude gathered together so that they trampled one another. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, so he's focusing in on his church, on his disciples, or rather than just the whole multitude. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that they have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say that you should fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before me and him will the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be, will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit or rejects the gospel is what it's speaking of there, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues, the magistrates and authorities... Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so, just outlining Jesus' message to the crowd here, he starts off in the first few verses, point out, like I said, I'm going to go quickly on this, that it takes more than religion. Uh, that, that the Pharisees had the right words and they spoke the things in the right places, but but a life is either lived or lost in the heart. It's not about the words. A lot of people today are very religious, but their heart is lost before God. He said, it really doesn't matter what people see on the outside, what you say on the outside, because God sees the secret places. 
and he sees the heart. And God wants to know if you're true in your heart. Second thing is when he talks about the one that you should fear, his message is that, that he's Lord, that he's sovereign, that he's in control, that, 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 that you shouldn't be concerned about what religious people think or the Pharisees, uh, how they judge as they were trying to attack him, uh, that he's the one that's in control. And it's not the fear of man that we should possess, but it's the fear and the reverence of God knowing that he holds our eternity. But he also brings out in that, and not a fearful thing of I'm so scared, but he said he loves and cares for everybody. And, and the fact of that, that, that another thing he points out is that life goes on beyond the grave. Sometimes we live our lives worried about our image and what we appear like in front of other people. If you think about where you're at in American culture, everything's geared around how other people see us oftentimes. And if you're not careful, but it says young couples, you'll buy into that. And the next thing you know, you're trying to live your life and, and to be pleasing to people, to get other people's, uh, thinking good of you and thinking that you're doing great and all that stuff, but in the secret place, you're miserable. You understand what I'm saying? I see a lot of people who put it on the outside and they got the things and they've got the image, but but families falling apart, marriages falling apart, stressed out like who'd have thought it because they're so worried about what other people think. The Lord's saying, hey, what? This life is temporary and everything here is going to burn up and go up in smoke, but you better consider eternity. You better consider and live for eternity. And then, and then when he talks about confessing Christ for me and eternity and the rewards or the judgment holds something for us far beyond measure when compared to the living conditions of this world. Contrary to popular preaching, following Jesus doesn't mean you're going to prosper, be rich, have everything, you know, everything's going to be wonderful in this life. He's telling them, if you follow me, you're going to be delivered up to the magistrates and the synagogues and they're going to be putting you on trial to kill you. Don't worry about that because I'm going to give you what you ought to say and I've got something far greater for you in the life to come. And so we get caught up living in this world and living for this world. And if you define life as the things that you see and you look to, the things that are temporary to bring you happiness and meaning and purpose and all that, then you're much like the next person who speaks. And I I hope that this will maybe open our eyes today. In verse 13, notice uh, this, this guy says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Dude missed it. Uh, Jesus, he missed the whole message that Jesus just spoke to him, what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was offering. Think about this. Here is God in the flesh, the giver of life, the one who has the, uh, the ability to give, grant you eternal life forever. He can answer any and every prayer. He just gives a, a, a quick message on not to live for temporary things, that you should fix your heart on eternity, trust in the Lord, he's going to take care of everything. And he's like, tell my brother to give me part you know, my part of the inheritance. And Jesus goes on down and he said, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he speaks a message here and he says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Covetousness, uh, basically when I look it up, means to be greedy, to always be wanting something else, to look for the, for something that's not yours. It's the desires that we'll talk about as we go on, but it's a desire for things. And it is where he says, for one's life, get this, if you don't get nothing else, one's life does not consist, is not held together, what consists means held together, secured, Defined by one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And so this guy that missed it, 
as much like I think people today, we're, we're dying in a consuming world. The world calls us consumers. We're not the consumers. We're being consumed. And a person who does not live for the Lord and follow after what Jesus teaches what life is about, if you let the world define life and define your life, then you're being consumed. And you're probably missing it like this guy missed it. Because all he can think about, think about it. Jesus is standing there, he's offering forgiveness, he's offering eternal life, he's warning them of the things and how that they should live for, and the next thing you know, this guy's, all he can think about is his inheritance and the conflict of it and the things that wasn't even his yet, it was his dad's stuff. And his brother, you know how it is when you get into the inheritance thing, if somebody's ever passed away in your family, it turns families into demons sometimes. Because they look to possessions to give them what they are so void of. And so he's thinking about this. And so his eyes and his ears and his thoughts and his heart was totally consumed by what wasn't even his yet. Man, don't we do that? We, we drive by car lots and, and, and what we want consumes us. And we go into shopping malls and, and what we see that we can't have consumes us. I want this and I want that. And, and, and here's the thing. Having things and having money and being rich is not a sin. The Bible even says that God gives us the power to become rich. It's does your possessions possess you? Does the desire for those things, are you looking to those things to make you happy, to make you feel like you're important, to give you purpose, that that's what life is all about? And if I can't have these things, and if I can't become, because it's not just physical things, sometimes it is positions, or sometimes it's, you know, recognition, or the things that we desire most. You know, I want recognition from other people, or I want power and authority, or I want this kind of, this level of education, and, and this level of job, and if I can't have that, I'm just miserable and I don't have life. And we get depressed and we get stressed and we get on drugs and, and all these different things because we think that we're, that we are, are most people miserable. Like Paul said, I'm thinking, some of us need to visit a third world country. Because America has so lied to us and Satan has so used that kind of stuff to consume our lives. And that's what covetousness does. It consumes us. Think about this. With this man right here and probably people that I'm talking to this morning, his covetous heart consumed the truth and the opportunity of God. The truth and opportunity. Why? He wasn't hearing it. There's a lot of people even sitting in church all over this nation today, and you got pastors up there who are preaching and worship leaders, and and you can do all the all the videos and all the stuff that you got to try to do with people nowadays to try to entertain them and to give them a, a, just a tidbit of of truth. And it's just like, whoa, it's gone, it's over. They don't hear it. They don't hear it. They don't see it because they've got one thing that they think is going to give them life, and the gospel just bounces off their heart like seed on a rock. It consumes the purpose of God in your life. Just do some own personal searching for you this morning. How many of us have missed opportunities in the purpose of God in our life because of the possessions and the positions that we desire? It consumes relationships. You know why the divorce courts are full today? This is why. This is why, because we, we're looking for life, sometimes even in other people. That can't, your husband and wife can't give you life. They're important to you. No relationship. Young people, if you're dating, there is no other person who can give you life. They can be a blessing in your life. They can add to your life. But listen to me. If you don't have Jesus, it don't matter. You get married once or 400 times. You're not going to find in another person what only Jesus can give you. And that's life because only he is the giver of life. It consumes our heart. 
Think about this. How many of you sit in church? How many of you are sitting here right now and, and, and you're hearing and your thoughts and your sights are on somewhere else? You're not focused on the Lord. You're not listening to God's Word. You're not trying to listen to God's Spirit. You're thinking about all the things you got going this week. I'm not trying to strike up thoughts in your mind. But listen to me. If that, if that strikes up thoughts in your mind, maybe we need a life change. Maybe we go, if I can't sit here and listen to my wife talk to me, <laughs> you know, and be focused. I mean, you men know what I'm talking about. Because I'm always thinking, it's not just men, it's women too. Your husbands talk every now and then. If you can't listen to your husband grunt and respond or something, because you're thinking about, well, I got this, 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 and you know, and I got my, I got my point. And we, sometimes we start off our Mondays, sometimes Sundays, and we're through the, we're through the week before we've ever met Monday morning. In our hearts and our minds, we're consumed and we've got our, we've got our goals and we got our things and we got our stuff and we are going to plow the field and it doesn't matter what comes between us. We're going to get from point A to point B, but you got to ask yourself, what's at point B? It consumes our time, our effort, and our energy. Young people, listen to me. I'm only 46, but that's old <laughs> and it's a lot older than 20. And if there's one thing, I honestly, I, I can say, I, I don't live life in regret, okay? I try to look ahead and go, I'm gonna make some changes at 46, so I don't, so I don't live the same way that I lived then. But, but one thing I have learned, and it probably be a lot of people testifying here, it goes by quick. You might think you're in a place where, well, I'm just, this is a terrible, I'm just, I'm stuck in a place, you ain't stuck, you're gonna look up, and you're gonna be 46, 66, 86 out of here. And your kids are going to hit the ground while they're little babies and they're keeping you awake all night. And you're like, oh my goodness. You're going to wake up one day and they're going to be walking the stage, standing in front of somebody being married, gone, your old news, and they're, they've got their own life. And you look back and you go, all right. But, but here's the reality. You can't go back. You can't re-raise your kids. You can't redo your marriage. You can't say, well, I wish that we would have took time together. I wish that we would have maybe went on some more trips. I wish that we would have, you know, focused more on our family and all this stuff. Because here's what our society grills into us. When you're young, you work. And you work and you work. Not for food and shelter and clothing, but for possessions and position. And you work and you attain. And you want better, so you attain more. And you work more, and you look and go, I'm young now, and when I get old, I want to make sure that I've got security, and I have a 401k, and I can retire when I'm 55, so that I can do what? I've never met a man who retired who fished every day. I've never met that man. I retire, I, I meet men who are going to retire, then they don't retire, then they retire, then they go back to work so they can make more money, so they can pay for the medical bills for the rest of their life, and you totally miss it. If you don't watch it, you're going to miss it. And the bad thing is, you can't go back and unmiss it. So you need to define in your heart today, this is what I want to live for. Because when the Bible talks about the kingdom, those are things that are eternal. The person sitting next to you is eternal. Those babies you're raising up are eternal. That car you drive, that piece of junk will be buried 20 years from now somewhere and they'll be buying parts off of it. The house you live in, you'll pay somebody to fix the rotten, falling down piece of junk in just a few years. No matter how much money it costs to build and how swanky it is. Your yard, mow it, turn around and it's coming right back up. Are y'all with me? But yet we allow ourselves to get caught up in all these things and, and here's the thing. You can, you can, you've got to be careful how you project life in your kids. I'm not against sports. We want, I want to get my, we've went from, we've went a lot of times, not everybody, but a lot of people have gone from, I want my kids to play sports so they can be active. I think that's good. So that they can enjoy it. I think that's good. 
you know, so they can interact with other kids, give us something to do as a family. We've went from that to Junior's four, and he needs to take it serious because he's, he needs a college education. He's going to be the next Major League World Series champion basketball football superstar, and we're going to gear everything in life towards that, and that's all that matters. And anything that comes in the way of that, whether it be faith or whether it be family, that's got to move because we've got an agenda for Junior that Junior couldn't care less because he's chasing butterflies in the outfield. Are you all with me? You understand what I'm saying? Not against things or stuff like that, but it's all about what you're gearing your life towards. Because sometimes we get consumed by those things, and it consumes our time, our effort, our energy. It consumes our spirit. You know what? Our joy, our kindness, our love. When you're on the fields of the of the sports fields and the courts and all that, if you're screaming and hollering and griping and, and coaching from the front seat on the way home of what they should have done, you lost it. You missed it. You missed it. And as well as me, some of us dads who take our kids to work and we want to make sure we teach them up and train them, if all we do is harp on that all the time, we missed it. Missed the whole point. Because life doesn't revolve around stuff and what you become and what you have and who you are. Because no matter if Junior's the next Major League World Champion or or the next President of the United States, there's 2.7 billion people in China who don't care. They don't care. And understand this. A generation from now, nobody will care. But your soul, your soul will care. And you know what? Life, this is what I found. I, I, I used to chase after all that stuff. And then the Lord shook me around, got me where I need to be. I'm so thankful that he did. And I started trying to follow Jesus and lead my family in the Lord and got involved in what God would have me do. I, man, I love life. It's good. It's really good. Not that it doesn't have his troubles, but he brings me through every trouble we face. He provides everything that we need. He blesses us over and above all that we could ask or imagine. Everything the Bible says is what he's doing. And I have to say that God's no respecter person, so if he'll do it in my life, he'll do it in your life. And there's a hundred people here who would stand and attest to that and go, I agree, I agree. Wouldn't go back. If you offered me a million dollars, ten million dollars right now to go back, walk away from the life you're living, go back to you, I'd say, you keep your money and burn it. Because I don't need it and don't want it. It can't give me what he has given me. And so Jesus, he wants to make a point and get it across to this man and to everybody else there. So he teaches him in a parable in verse 13 or verse 14. He said, man, who, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Uh, that take heed, beware of covetous, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the thing he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them saying, okay, here's, he's going to tell a story. And he's going to make some points, and I want to get these points today. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Here's what I want you to do as we go to save us some time. I want you to underline rich. The ground of a certain rich man. If you have your Bible, underline rich. He said within himself, underline within himself, saying, what shall... And I want you to pay attention how many times he says I or my. What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store my crops and my years, or I say, and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. The American dream. But God said to him, you fool. 
This night your your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? You see, the lessons of the parable are this. Jesus said, take heed and beware. He gives you a double warning. Take heed. Beware of covetousness. Why? Because covetousness brings disillusion to our definition of life. The more stuff that you see between you and the Lord, the less life that you live. Life is not measured or determined or secured through the abundance of possessions. You're quiet this morning. Now, I ain't preaching to you. Preaching to me. So y'all can amen, all right? Think about this. There's a lot of people who have great houses, but they're not homes. There's a lot of people who are related, but they're not family. There's a lot of people who are religious with no relationship to the Lord. There's a lot of people who have security, but no peace. Isn't that what we want for our kids? We want security. We want them to have better. I don't know why. We want them to have better than what we have. Is what you have that bad? We want to have better. We want to have more. We want to make sure that they... And I'm not against the education. But listen to me. I don't live for education. Here's a shocking news breaker that needs to be on the New York Times. College. God does not depend on a college education. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't... You don't, he don't, you, your kids, God can take care of them even without a college education. I'm 46. I pay all my bills. I have not spent more than 30 minutes in a college room. And that was trying to get out as fast as I could go. You know, don't buy into, well, if your kids don't have college, they're not going to be successful. They might be way more successful. They might be successful with a marriage. They might be successful with a family. I guarantee you, if they follow in Jesus, their bills are going to be taken care of. They might be happier than they've ever been if they're a CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation where they don't have no wife, no husband, no kids. Maybe they have a house, but they don't have a home. What is success? How do you define life? Because listen to me. They can go to college. They can have that security. They can be secure in there. Let's just talk about image. I want to make sure my baby. We'll put our we'll, we'll put ourselves so far under in debt to make sure my baby wears the highest dollar clothes, shoes, pants, name brand, everything. Got to do it. You know, we'll go to work wearing garbage just to make sure our kids don't make be made fun of in school. Maybe you need to teach Junior to pop somebody. I mean, that, all right, let's scratch that from nip that, huh? Here's what I'm at. We'll make fun of what I'm wearing. Yours is going to be really dirty in just a second. But anyhow. No, that's not good. I just scratched that. Anyhow. You have your way. I have mine. But, but you know what I'm saying. We're so worried that somebody's going to laugh at her or him. And, and so we'll, we'll, we want to make sure we buy them everything that's required by the world so that they're accepted by the world. When Jesus says, be set apart from the world. And we want to make sure that, you know, they got the best cars and, and the best this. And they get to go to all the big fancy stuff and all this stuff. Why? We want them to be secure in their image and what people think of them and how they're seen and what they're thought of. We want to make sure the world loves our babies and they're secure but you wonder why they have no peace because the world can't give you what only Jesus can you take a kid and teach them who they are in Christ Jesus and they really don't care if they got holes in their britches or if they're wearing $20 shoes because they don't care what this this insecure individual over here says or thinks about them you know why? because they're more concerned about what God thinks about them and they'll grow up to be an adult that functions and has a good family uh, this is the story of a man who lost everything. No, i got to back up. I want to touch one more thing on that. They got toys and not time. 
Toys don't replace your time, parents, grandparents. You can buy all the toys you want to. You can give them all the neat things. And if you're working and gone all the time, and some of you are gone at home because you ain't there, or you're vegged out and you don't want you just, work all the time, I gave you a new this and I gave you a new that, and go play with this and go play with that. Maybe your kid's going, I just like to play with you. I just like to have some time with you. Time that don't even take money. There's, there's so many different things that you can do with your family, your wife, your husband. You don't got to go to Paris to take her on a date. Man, go outside and smoke a weenie. Hot dog. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and do something that you enjoy. You don't got to, you, you let the world, you know, once all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put it on, I'm going to take my wife on this awesome date. So you go to the internet and he's like, well, I'll take her to a $500 restaurant. And if you don't do that, you're a loser. And those are the people who are trying to buy somebody, not just love somebody. You gotta come back to the basics of life. God, I just buried myself. <laughs> this is a man who gained everything and lost it all. I, I hope I'm wrong. But usually, in a crowd this size, somebody here is gonna deal with this right here. That you're gonna gain everything and lose it all. Notice this, real quick, let's go through this. The ground of a certain rich man. I wanna point this out. He was already rich. He was already rich. When is enough enough? Right now, when you're 20, and don't just throw, don't just throw a million dollars. When, what you need to sit down, I think you and your wife, if you're married, you and your wife need to sit down and go, let's, let's define. Even before you get married, it's best to agree on some things. How could two walk together except they agree? Let's define what we're looking for in life. When, when is enough going to be enough? When, when will I be satisfied with the paycheck that I get and not gripe and whine about it? How many jobs is it going to take? Three, four? I mean, how, how big a house? Because most of us, we look back and we're honest. Like, we started off a little, we was in a one bedroom, which we outgrew it because kids, one bedroom, shanty shack, we was happy then. Oh, that's not enough. We need two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom. Now we need this and that and add on. Now we need a complex and we need this. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We do a cars. This is long. I remember praying, Lord, you just give me a car that'll get me to where I'm going and get me home. I'll be happy. That's not enough now because now I have that. Now I need a, I need a fancier car, I need a bigger car, I need a bigger four-wheel drive, bigger tires, bigger motors, so I can go through bigger mud holes and get the bigger deer, at least I can kill bigger deer that cost bigger money. Y'all with me? I'm preaching to myself if you don't get this. I'm joining in we, I just got to do it out loud. But let me ask you this question, has where you come from to where you are moved you and your family closer to Jesus? You look back on life and go, you know, we've came a long ways. Has it moved you closer to Jesus? Or has it got you more wrapped up in the world? Has it made you more free? Or has it brought you greater bondage? Do you have greater peace in your mind now? Or are you more worried than you've ever been and stressed out? Then you're on the wrong path. You're living for the wrong thing. You're letting the world define your life for you. Boy, y'all quiet on that. That's good. You're thinking. This man, notice this. He never acknowledged or consulted with God's desires for the blessing. He said within himself... He thought within himself. He didn't say, God, what do you want me to do with what you have provided for me? How did his crops bring forth plentifully? Last time I checked, God owns the rain and the sun and the environment and the health and the body and the seed that it took for him to bring forth plentifully. And it's the same in my life. Anything that I look at in my life that, that, that God blessed me because the Bible says every good and every perfect gift, not some, not a few, not what you don't attain, but every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. 
And in our lives, there are times where God holds back and we have struggles and it builds character. And there are times where he hyper abundantly blesses us. And in those times, don't say within yourself, hey, everything's good. I don't need God now because I this is God. This is my security. This is my happiness. This is my joy. This is my life. So I'm going to decide what I'm going to do with what's mine. It ain't yours. Some people think, well, I give my 10%. Keep it. God don't need it. 100% of it's his. It's his. Every bit of it. And if you could do anything in life, when God bless you, you Lord, I want to consider, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? He might say, I want you to enjoy. He might say, I want you to use it for my purpose and my kingdom, and I want you to help other people. And if your heart's right, you're like, this is awesome, God. Thank you for the blessing so I can be a blessing. But this guy didn't concern himself with God. You know why? Because it was his ground, his rain, his seed, his sunshine, his production, his accomplishment for his glory. Because 11 times he says, I or my. In that short message right there, 11 times. You know why? Because covetousness not only consumes your life, but it consumes the lives of those around you because you become your own God building your own kingdom. That's what covetousness does. It comes between you and everybody else. This man did not ask his wife what she thought. He did not ask his kids what they thought. He did not ask his neighbors what they thought. He didn't ask God what it was all about. I I don't need to ask nobody. You know why? Because I built this. I made this. I'm a self-made man. You are a fool. Don't you ever think that what you have can't disappear that quick. You know why? Because God himself said, if riches come... Don't set your heart on it, for they shall soon fly away. Amen? The Lord knows it. <clears throat> and then you go on down and see. I'm going to go through this real quick and get you out of here. His stuff was his life and his security. What did he say? All of a sudden, he becomes God and he can see tomorrow. And he starts talking within himself. And he's, he's got his plan. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build greater. And what I want to say is, now wait a second. He was rich. You already had barns. You was already great because you wanted to build greater. You had plenty of stuff for you and yours. What about all those folks around you? You ever think that God wanted you to be a vessel that he could use to bless other people around you so they might have a barn, so that they might have a job, so that they might need some help, so that they might see him and not you? He didn't think about that. He just thought, hey, let's tear down the good barns and let's build bigger barns and let's build greater things so I can appear greater before all these people. Therefore, there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, he's God talking to his own soul. Soul, you have many goods laid up. And notice what he says, I've got many years. This is his security now. This is his 401k. I've got it. I've attained it. My plan has come together. I'm looking ahead, and the years come, and there's nothing but fishing and fun. His stuff was his life and his security. He thought he was in control and that he had found life, but his soul was lost, bankrupt. I'm going to read something to you. You don't got to turn there. Revelation chapter 3, most of you have heard this, but this is talking about the church. This is talking about the American church. It's referring to God's people. This ain't the lost people. I think a lot of these people in this church are lost. But it says... To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Makes God sick. 
Because you say, notice what they say, same as the rich man, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing, not even God. And I do not, or, and he says, and you do not know. This is the way God sees him. And do you know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? You see what they're doing? They're looking at the outside. Look, look at what I've got. Look what I've come from. Look what I've become. No way we could ever go back to that. We've got money laid up for years. One thing I heard a country singer say one time, he said, I've got more money than my grandchildren's grandchildren could ever spend. If your grandchildren's grandchildren die and go to hell, what good was it? You don't know if that money's going to be there tomorrow because you might not be there tomorrow. But these people see themselves as we don't need the Lord. We've got our God. We've got what makes us happy. We've got life. And the Lord said, you're wretched, miserable, poor. Because God looks at the heart. And when he looks at the heart of this rich man who is speaking to himself. And this is one thing I want you to get. This man speaks all of this stuff to himself. He believes it to be true. He thinks he's in control. And all of a sudden God said, "Um, I've got something to say. Because understand this, God's word supersedes ours. God's thought supersedes ours. And God puts us as, you're just the created. I am the creator. You're the judged. I'm the judge. You're a speck of dirt. I'm everything. Covetousness and possessions causes us to lose proper vision and perspective of who we are and who we're not. And he says... We're gonna, we're gonna take our ease, eat, drink, be merry. Life is good. Verse 20, but God, but God said to him, you fool, this night, not 20 years from now, not I'm 62 and I've got everything I want, so I'm gonna live to be 85 or 90, not I'm 40 and retired and rich and I've got a yacht and now I've got tonight, 20, 25, 30, who knows, 18, Tonight, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You remember in another passage of Scripture where Jesus said, What will a man give in exchange for his soul? How many of you, what would you give? What would you give in exchange for your soul? What would it be worth for you to spend eternity burning in a miserable, fiery hell? What is that worth? million dollars? Some of us, 50000 a year, right? Some people are giving up their soul for 50000 a year. What, is your, what would you exchange your kid's soul for? Listen to me, it's serious. What would you exchange your kid's soul for? Major League Baseball? Football contract? An opportunity for him to spin around in the end zone at the Super Bowl and millions of people cheer for him. Would you change, would you exchange their soul for that? Would you exchange their soul for them being popular and fitting in? Because most of us don't have to worry about Junior being in the Super Bowl for in reality. Some of us just for the pridefulness that we instill in them. Maybe it's just the, the, the sow, the sowing the seed in their mind of riches can make you, if you just, if you just, if you just get rich, life will be way better than what ours are. What are, you, what are you exchanging is the question. At this, what are you exchanging for your soul? Because listen to me. Die rich or die poor. 
You can take the President of the United States that we have right now, Donald Trump, one of the richest men that's ever been and ever will be. And on the day of judgment, I don't know it's harder, and I'm not judging but saying, if he is lost and he doesn't know Christ, on the day of judgment, he can stand there by the homeless man who rejected Christ that slept under a bridge and never owned anything. And they will be standing before their God, their creator, on equal grounds. God's not impressed or moved by riches or accomplishments. And what good will it be? And maybe there's another person there who didn't have anything. Maybe they sleep under a bridge, but they sleep with the Lord. Maybe they've got their salvation. There's going to be a division in that day. What good was your stuff and your accomplishments and your money when you hear the words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? He doesn't say, depart from me, you MVP. Depart from me, and it was great watching you do what you did. Depart from me, you CEO. He doesn't even acknowledge it. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. The world knew you. You were in books, on TV, on stages. You preached. You did all these great things. I never knew you. I never knew you. You lost your soul. What are you giving in exchange? If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, what are you exchanging for your soul right now? Because here's the God's honest truth. Tonight, tonight your soul might be required of you. Where would you be right now? Walk out of the church. Get in your car. Drive down the road. You're driving safe. You got your seatbelt on. You're going to speed limit. But the person coming towards you isn't. They're texting. They weave over, they smash in your car, and you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. What's on your account there? Are you bankrupt? Or are you rich towards God? Because it don't matter what you are and what you become, what you have in this life. If you've got Jesus, you are the richest person walking on the face of the earth. Well, how do you define life? And as God's people, we need to come to a place to go, I'm not going to let the world tell me how to live. I'm not going to tell the world to tell me how to build my family or the relationship I'm going to have my wife and kids or other people. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the world mold me and, and, and move me in the direction that it wants to move me. I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to look weird. I'm going to be talked about. People are going to think I'm freaky and a cult. But you know what? I didn't ask them what they thought. You know why? This is my life. This is my life. And I'll live how I live and I'll be judged how I'm judged and I'll be glad of it. You do what you do, and I'll do what I do. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed?